0: boom dude that was really good good. nice i thought you were gonna i thought i thought you were gonna be i thought you were gonna be interesting but this may was even like more interesting than i had even thought that was awesome it was
1: very different than all of our ones that we've done up to this point i really you guys uh, had
2: such interesting questions and i really appreciate just like the time to be able to recollect some of this stuff because you know you never really stop and think about it
0: Welcome to the Find Your Freedom podcast. Our guest today is Caleb Ogden. Caleb has a crazy background in the tech industry from working with Lady Gaga to being a program manager for Snapchat to founding a VC backed fintech startup. And now Caleb has found his freedom, does stand up, and has his own podcast called the Originals Podcast. Thank you for choosing to listen to us. We really appreciate it. Please take a second to like and follow this podcast and share your favorite episode of the Find Your Freedom podcast with an aspiring entrepreneur in your life. Thank you. Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to the Find Your Freedom podcast, Caleb. Super stoked to share your story with our audience.
2: Welcome to the podcast, Caleb. Thank you, John and Doug. I'm very excited to be here.
1: I'm, I'm happy to talk to you guys. So let's jump right in and talk a little bit about VC funding. So I think you're one of the few people that we know, I don't know if I know anybody else who's gone down the path of, of actually securing VC funding. Very interested to understand a little bit more about that. Can you talk about your experience with going through that process and what that was like for you?
2: So I've only gone through it one time, but this was in 2013. And I was starting a company which John helped uh, found, Jonathan helped found, uh, called Increase. And it was a social network for investors. It was kind of like trying to combine crypto, which was really new at the time, with traditional investments. And um, a buddy of mine had had his startup uh, funded by a lot of you know great VCs in Silicon Valley. And so he had this like burgeoning network of VCs and somebody kind of sent him an offer and was like, hey, I have a quarter million ready to go if you uh, if you have an idea. And he knew me, I'm an ideas guy. <laughs> And so we decided to make it go, but so I, I I don't have a ton of experience in like the direct um fundraising part of things, but I, I was very privileged uh and lucky to be a part of um that fundraising. We we did it through Base VC. I'm not sure if they're still active, but it was Tony Shea's fund who unfortunately passed away some years ago um
0: in Vegas. Yeah, Tony Shea, that was the he's the founder of Zappos, right?
2: Yep. And they sold to Amazon for, it was a huge deal at the time. I can't remember the numbers, but yeah, especially um, back
0: then it was a huge deal. And I want to, and I want to appropriately convey that, um, you know, I was one of the founding members, but I was, you know, my background was so different and you're a genius programmer. And there was a couple other partners, founders that were genius programmers. And for me, you know, I, I tried to be as engaged as possible. And really, it was like this massive learning experience for me. But I was just sitting back in awe, like watching you guys being like, so creative, and really having this massive, like, uh, putting together the whole game plan and everything. So I want to like appropriately convey that, that, uh, you know, Caleb and our friend Kirk and Tyler, um, and then our other business, Travis, like, it was, you know, it was just like, I felt so fortunate to be along for the ride and watching you guys really, you know, uh, teach me, um, you know, all the steps of the process because you guys are so smart and so talented and really to see like where you guys were there and then sort of where you guys have 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 come now, um, you know, it just like makes it even more impactful for me how fortunate I was um, to be part of your guys' network and to be part of that process. So I want to sh- give my give my shout out.
1: Sounds like you're kind of like the Derek Fisher to their uh, Kobe and
0: Shaq. <laughs>
1: now, going back to the VC funding a little bit, um, I'm I'm really intrigued by what that process looks like. Is it are you going into like a Shark Tank room with Mark Cuban and 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 these types of high high net worth investors as part of that process, or what what does that look like?
2: For me, it it was all based around, I, I was in a very fortunate position and, you know, definitely didn't even deserve to be quite where I was. Um, and it was more to do with my, uh, buddy being so successful in his own ventures, Kirk. Um, and so the, the process was like more that, uh, we, we were committing to be a part of this team in, um, Las Vegas. I can't remember what it was called. But Tony Shea had, like, a a unique uh, project he was working on, which was to, like, bring entrepreneurs and startups to Vegas and start to rebuild, um, I think he called it Old Vegas. Um, And so, but it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. And I got to meet Tony Shea a couple times and hang out at his apartment and um, meet some other founders during that process. And just completely fortunate. Jonathan, I'll always remember, like, being in the top of a of a Vegas penthouse suite and just like talking about Bitcoin and what crypto could become and then to see all that evolution. You know, I feel like we missed the boat a little bit with increase. Um, I feel like we were a little ahead of our time uh, in terms of everything, even just the idea and getting all of the pieces in place to actually make it successful. But I could not be more grateful to have been given that opportunity by Kirk and uh, Base VC.
0: Yeah, I think it's, um, I think I feel the same way. And that's kind of one of the lessons that we learn from being an entrepreneur, right? Timing is critical. Um, and then the other piece of it that you were just referring to, and I think, Doug, in most of our minds, you know, when we don't, don't see behind the curtain of VC funding, what Caleb's describing is pretty much most of what my experience has been with people who get funded. It's like, oh, I know this person in my network. And they're a valued, trusted person who has been successful, and people say like, "Oh, well, if this person has an idea, I want to put my money behind it." So, <laughs> so I think right. that the way Caleb's trying to trying to downplay it, it's not really even downplaying. It's just like that's kind of the way <laughs> most of the business goes. I think that there's one angle where people have to like come up with an idea, formalize it, and pitch it. But I think the more common road is you build out your network of quality people. And then those people get given opportunities. And that's kind of what Caleb and I I really the like
2: the board. inverse also. Do you know Brian Armstrong's story from Coinbase? No, I know Brian Armstrong, but I haven't heard his. Oh, do you? Okay. I've hit him up with a couple cold emails every now and then. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> I got serious. one reply, but it was a long time ago. Well, I don't know his full story, but uh, he was at an accelerator. Um, what's the big accelerator? Like one of the early ones? Y, y Combinator? Combinator. Yep. Yeah. And so... He was like a solo founder and he had this whole vision and this whole product. And what his struggle was, is he had created this amazing uh, technical feat and product feat, and he needed a co-founder to help him, you know, just share the load of it, share that burden. And that's where he found Fred uh, Arisman, I think his last name is. Um, And so it's interesting how there's, there's all these different avenues to creating a successful startup and a successful company. And, but a lot of it is like, you know, you got to be able to have people that put their faith and confidence in you, and then you have to do your best to make a return on that. So it sounds
1: like for you, the biggest, the biggest takeaway was the power of your network and having someone in a, in a strong position that already trusts you and can vouch for you and then connect you to the, to the money.
2: Yes, absolutely. in that way, in that way i'm I'm just so fortunate uh, to have met Kirk actually through uh, where I am now. I, I did a hackathon in Austin, Texas, which is where I live, and I met his business partner, Garrett, who went on to do Shark Tank and now he's an influencer. I think I'm sure he influenced me to try to do some similar stuff and uh, that's where I met Kirk and so that's how life is though, right? It's always just like luck meets timing and preparation, and if you're all that works together, then you can kind of compound that luck and keep it going.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Putting yourself in a position, which I don't want to like just glance over is that you were a amazingly talented programmer that, you know, kind of built up this skill set that was known. So it wasn't like people were doing you a favor, like having you as part of these different projects. It's like, oh, like, oh, I need a good programmer. Like us with increase, like Caleb is going to be our best programmer like let's plug him in and let's just you know roll with this bad boy so 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 don't glance over the facts you you put in you know you put in the hard work to become you know one of the best in class at what you were doing and because of that opportunities came in front of you so that hard work pairing with that opportunity you know once again
2: it was such a great experience and i look back at it you know we we weren't successful in gaining traction or customers and we eventually um all moved on to do different things. But um, as far as a learning experience goes, it was so valuable, so valuable. And yeah, I could not be more grateful.
0: Can you talk us through, I think um, one thing that we really like to highlight is, can you talk us through how you um, got to this point of being such a skilled programmer and kind of what you're, can you give us like a quick summary of like, what was your skill? Where were you when you like decided that's what you wanted to do? Was it just a hobby? And then how did you get above the rest of the cream to become the top of the cream.
2: For me, it was always just a hobby. I was always a nerd. My first website I made when I was a teenager and this was way before anyone was doing, you know, this is before GeoCities. This was like maybe, you know, 2000 something, maybe like 2002, something like that. And so I was uh, doing, making these websites, Lord of the Rings, fan sites, video game, cheating websites, just anything that I thought was like, kind of fun. And it's amazing how far programming has come. It was so difficult to build on the internet in those days. And now you can get an AI to just code everything for you or use, you know, like Squarespace, all these other websites. But it was very much just a passion. And um, so I was uh, working a lot with my brother who still does, uh, he has a consulting business that he um, still does custom software design and I was working for him. And he taught me a lot of like how to code and, you know, just like the value of how in demand that skill was. And eventually I, they were paying me a little bit less than I probably should have been paid at the time. And so as soon as I found out that I could freelance for like 2x, 4x, 10x, what I was earning, I was like, okay, well, we're going to do this. Thanks, and bro. so, <laughs> I, yeah, th- thanks, Ben. Thanks for the education. And so I started freelancing. That was the first time I started making real money. And then I was writing these articles about just how to do stuff on SitePoint and a bunch of like, you know, HTML websites. And eventually one of those got noticed by somebody in uh, Silicon Valley, and which I never even heard of. I never heard of equity. I never heard of startups. I never heard of Silicon Valley. What somebody year, what year is this um, and
1: how old are you at that time? Um,
2: I was probably 24 and this would have been uh, two thousand. And 10, maybe 2008, something like that. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, it was like very much um, just a passion of mine. And I still enjoy coding. Like, I mean, I, I do it probably a couple times a week for my own stuff. That's
0: so awesome. Yeah, just to, what, what you're referencing. I, one of the really cool things is that you and I, you know, start, had that VC startup together, but we hadn't really even talked, um, you know, since that had all, um, um, you know, a few years ago. And then the reconnection was, hey, we're, we're starting a podcast and, and look around and, oh, one of my old partners is running a, a successful podcast already. So you're our first uh, guest who has their own podcast, which is such a cool thing I love and, and we're appreciating learning from you and, and seeing how you're um, utilizing some new technology to um, sort of what you were just referring to, sort of making your job easier with some of the programming. Um, Likewise, yeah,
2: I'm really excited to share learnings on that. Podcasting turns out to be its own business, as it turns yeah. out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What what is, um, what is it that you're utilizing the AI for that you were just referencing, and how exactly is that helping you with the process?
2: Well, I'm still very much in the exploring phase of what AI can do. Uh, the biggest power that the current chatbot i is gpt3 which the next version is going to be you know light years ahead of where it is um, but it already just knows everything it knows everything and so if you have a question about anything you just type in a question and it has the answer instantly so that is already like well okay so everyone has a new superpower one of the problems with search which itself is a miracle is you have to have three clicks you have to Um, click on the website, scroll to find the information, read the website, uh, three steps I meant, not clicks. And with GPT, it's only one step. You just ask your question to this infinite knowledge machine. (laughs) And so the biggest thing I use it is just like forging for information, but I use it to code. I use it to, uh, summarize, uh, I create transcripts of my podcasts. I do keyword extraction. Um, and I just, anything I can think of, I throw that channel. I I've done stats with it. I have a very tenuous understanding of stats from my time at Snapchat. And so I was like, oh, I wonder, I wonder if I could do a correlation analysis for how many views a podcast gets versus how many subscribers that might yield using my data. You know, you just type your question in iterate, and that's how it, you can get
1: some amazing results with AI in these early days. Yeah, you referenced uh, Snapchat. I think that's a pretty exciting um, chapter in your in your entrepreneurial journey uh, before you became one. Um, when you want to talk about uh, what you learned there, what uh, what you liked about working at Snapchat, and maybe kind of the the evolution of the company while you were there during that exciting time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Snapchat was my dream job for sure. And I knew that they were going to be a big company. Like I first downloaded the app in like 2014, something like that. And after my buddy sold his startup to them, I was like, dude, you got to get me in. (laughs) And originally I was going to try and get into like a product slash design role, but there was no uh, space there. So I went into engineering and I created a lot of our early web products. I created our first live stories player for the web that we partnered with the Oscars to launch, um, our snap code generator. Um, I was managing the website, the blog, just anything to do with the web. I was kind of like the guy for the first few years and man, it was such a, another, like now that I'm recalling all this, I'm like, I have a lot to be grateful for. Um, but I was an early employee as far as like companies of that size go. I was for sure. I think under 400, maybe, I mean a thousand would be crazy. I think it was like under 400. And Do you know what they got up to? What did they get up to? I think they're at seven thousand, Yeah, something like
0: that. Oh wow. That's before the that's before the Elon uh Elon style rolls in. (laughs) Well, we were
2: just hiring like mad. Slash City Yeah, like we were we I mean, if I had joined a month earlier, I would have been employee 150 or whatever, you know? Right. And so um it was just this explosion of growth and we were on Venice Beach and it was just like this amazing, creative, like Evan Spiegel is the CEO and he's a very creative product-oriented thinker. And it was very important to him, which I, I, I wish we were able to retain these roots as a company, but you know, as you scale, you have to just make sacrifices. And one of those was our Venice culture. Um, this was kind of after we IPO'd a lot of the kind of early startup vibes of the company got replaced with like, okay, we're a real company. we got an HR department we're here to make cash or whatever. I don't know. Like just how are those things change after you IPO? Um, but again, like just, I learned so much and it was such an incredible experience. Uh, I was there for six years.
1: Yeah, I was, um, similarly, it's not a Snapchat, but an asset management company that had huge growth. I was employee number 40 or something like that. And fast forward a year later, there was four or 500 employees. So I I remember kind of riding that wave of growth and, Seeing how it changes from, yeah, like you said, like lean startup mode to all right, now we're corporate, now we do things like this and and everything needs to fit tightly into this box, and you got to start here and in here and and it changed you're lucky quite if you a bit get there
2: you're lucky if you get to that level though,
1: yeah, that's true, absolutely, um so I think for me, just hearing your story and thinking back, I'm like, yeah, it was kind of when the company started to become a little bit more corporate, and I saw less opportunity for myself to grow there, less opportunity for, my, for me to blossom and do all the things that I wanted to do in my career and wanted, wanted more freedom and flexibility in my life. At what point did that Snapchat gig for you become less of a dream job situation? And, and when did you start feeling like, okay, this, this was great, but now I'm looking ahead and I want to be in business for myself or I want to move on to my next thing?
2: I mean, I feel like it was, it was just half this changing culture of, I, I got pushed out of the nest a little bit, uh, with how corporatized everything was. I'm like the guy smoke a weed on the roof, you know, like (laughs) I'm just, that's who I was. And, and, but I took a lot of pride in my contributions to the company and the culture. And, um, I still see, you know, I like to imagine my DNA is still there in some respects, but, um, it was, uh, it was just like I really did have this dream role where one of my mentors in the company, Rong Yan, who's a genius, um, mathematical genius and uh, engineering genius, and he had given me this great opportunity to work on one of our core problems as a business, which was we were trying to tap into these emerging markets, but our app couldn't perform there, and so like we're trying to like figure out okay these people have limited bandwidth they can't download like a 100 meg app or whatever it was at the time how do we create a more efficient and high performance version of our product that can scale in emerging markets not just the US and so i sat down with like a team of like eight guys and and they were all like the best guys you know it's like Jerry Hunter, he's the COO now and he's from Amazon and <laughs> the dream uh, team. Mike Marr, the dream team. It was the dream yeah. team. And again, I don't know how I keep getting it. You know, I'm just like fall into these situations. It's crazy. But I'm in the room with these guys and we're just talking about like, okay, how do we even measure performance? What do we care about? How do we come up with the metrics that matter? The cool thing about Snapchat is we had DNA from Amazon and Google and Facebook and all these big tech companies that we had hired engineers from. And so there was a lot of existing knowledge to draw from. And so we got all of the smartest people in the room. One of my favorites is Mike Marr, uh, shout out to Mike. And, um, you're just able to like build this plan of like, okay, we want to tackle the performance of the app. We need a program to do that. Um, how do we get that accomplished? And then that eventually grew from like eight people, I think, in in the weekly meeting was well over a hundred, maybe 150 uh, in regular attendance. It was the largest meeting at the company, the largest program at the company at the time that I left. And so I don't know what it is now, but, but yeah, as far as like going and doing my own thing, it was partly, I had been a little bit spoiled in terms of my equity. And uh, Based
1: on when you came into the company?
2: That, and you know, like you gotta fight for yourself and, and try to, you know, get as much as you can. And so, like, I had I had some, like, uh, I, I felt like I had enough, you know, uh, assets of my own to be able to take some risk, and and then the position had just changed, and I, and I wasn't, um, I hadn't played a political game. I'm very apolitical, and I have nothing against the workplace politics as part of, like, how any organization gets structured. You're constantly doing these reorgs, and there's just, you have to, like, network and um make sure that you're kind of retaining your position which i hadn't done a great job of so my program uh went from like me having total control and total autonomy where i felt like i was doing my own startup i was having my own business within the company that's really how i felt about it and then now all of a sudden i've got like a boss who's telling me like what to do and what to work on and all these things and i'm like and i just disagreed with the priorities and the culture was changing and so that's kind of uh when i left in retrospect, I, I I would have tried to evolve my position instead of just leave because it was such a unique uh, role that I played in the in the company, and I value uh, the culture and the history of it so highly. and it's such a big part of like my own personal story that I tell myself. And so but yeah, again, just max gratitude for Snapchat and every opportunity I was given there.
1: From your experience of of making that decision, that difficult decision to to move on, and pursue your dreams and pursue something that would give you the flexibility that you were looking for. What were some of the takeaways that you could share that you think people should think about when they're, as they're making that decision for themselves?
2: It's a lot harder than it seems, you know, like it's, I mean, even if you have all the resources in the world, it's still difficult to create anything. And there's a lot that you get from a job that has nothing to do with benefits and compensation and cash. And if you're just looking at a job and you're like, oh, I'm just going to get paid really well. Well, like maybe those people are like your, you know, it's a little dumb to say like your family because they can fire you. And so like, it's obviously not, but those are the people that you spend so much time with. That might be a huge part of your social connection to the world and um, just how you're fulfilled as a person. And so I would challenge anyone thinking of that, of like two things. One, how can I get my thing going on the side while still keeping the correct level of contributions to warrant my position in the company instead of just like outright leaving? And then two, is there a way to like evolve that role into like something that can benefit both? Now, I I, I don't know that other people will have the same experience I did where I really was like building a company within a company. And as soon as that changed, all the dynamics changed. Um, And so if you're just like an employee and you hate it and you hate your boss, blah, blah, blah. I never had that experience. You know, I had amazing bosses, amazing mentors, and everything was basically uh, a dream the whole time. And so looking back, I would, I would just, you know, use caution, like these things, building things is hard. It's very difficult.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I love the nuance that you're describing because it is such a personal thing for everyone. Um, and that's what's so interesting about what, um, you know, we're looking for with our with our podcast, trying to provide um, an option of gaining insight from people who have been in your position and um, and everyone's experience at their corporate job or before their corporate job is different. But what's, what's cool about your story is that, you know, you really worry in a really you know, nice situation where you were still learning and still challenged and still feeling fulfillment. And you were trying to find the balance of, you know, meeting some of your other needs. Whereas some people like me, when I was at, uh, in my corporate positions, I was not fulfilled at all. So, so I was like, really kind <laughs> of like, easier. where, you know, where, where can I get the escape hatch here? Um, and how, and how can I, um, you know, transition? So it was more of a, a desperation step for me, whereas there's this whole gradient of people, um, there, you know, that are either in my position, you know, all the way over to your position where, um, you know, you can make it more thoughtful and sort of st- starting out trying your side hustle. And I think that's what we try and really get across in this podcast is that you need to find your old path, but I think you really need to um, have it stri- strategic and plan it out. Where are you on that scale? How much risk do you want to take? And I think that those are critical questions for people to ask themselves and not get caught up in the emotion of, me, I really hate my job. I just need to get out and I'll figure it out. Or like, hey, like I'm looking for something that gives me more fulfillment. Um, how can I either, like you said, maybe ask yourself a question, maybe in my current spot, I can just negotiate, do some politics and and, and sort of switch over to maybe get the um, enrichment that I'm looking for. Or do I need to you know, start my own thing or transition to a smaller company or whatever that is? But those are the questions that I think you were really well pointing out. Like, those are what need to be asked. You don't just jump and say, I want to be an entrepreneur, because that's the last thing that we're trying to put, uh, put across in this podcast.
2: Strategy is, you know, uh, essential in these things. I've never been great at it. I've always just been like, let's leap into the void and see what happens. But I <laughs> hey, pay the too. price for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes it works and sometimes you get slammed. And I've had it happen both ways. If I was to look at like having a corporate position again, it w- I would try to see it as a partnership. And I would be like, okay, I'm going to be a part of this company until the sun explodes. I'm never quitting. This is just my lifestyle. How do I build this into my life in a way that like, I, I'm just thrilled every day that I come to work? This is something I always used to talk about with my boss uh, before things kind of went a little sideways was I want to find the intersection where my interests and in development match the company's needs. And in the center of that, that's where I want to perform because I know that that must exist because we're a billion dollar company and we service hundreds of millions of customers. So like guaranteed what I'm good at and what I want to be better at is a need of the company. I just got to find out where that is. And then I was lucky enough to find that for years, year after year. Yeah.
0: That's how, how, how long were you there? Six years. I love that. And, and I want to transition a little bit now into the uh, more personal entrepreneurship side. One of the questions that we ask all the guests is, if you could define what entrepreneurship means to you.
1: Well,
2: I don't know if I have a great definition of my own. I like Elon Musk's, of uh, it's chewing glass and staring into the abyss. You know, like I it's hard. That. It's so hard. You're alone and there's nobody that can help you with anything. And even if you have a partner, <laughs> you and the partner alone, and you're like trying to like eat the elephant or drink the ocean. Like it's impossible. You're never going to do it. And so it's, it's a challenge. It's a, you make it sound so sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're willing to like sign up for some arduous labor, but then the the other half of it is you, you reap benefits no matter what, because you're going to be learned, even if you fail, you're going to learn. And so, um, there, there's something about wearing all of these hats or playing all these roles where you get to really expand yourself. And you get a different perspective that not many people will ever get because they're not willing to take that risk. And so I think the benefits of entrepreneurship are their win or lose.
0: Totally agree. I think that's a really great answer for two for two reasons. Number one is, I think one of the smartest things that people can do is not always trying to reinvent the wheel. So I love that you and you felt so, um, so much the resident. Uh, Elon's quote resonated so well with you. you're like, yeah, this is really how I felt and really how it can be to be an entrepreneur So I think it's great that you don't feel like you need to reinvent the wheel and say like I'm gonna come up with this super eloquent long answer about what entrepreneurship <laughs> is. You find you know something that a really smart person says and you. you help make it your own, which I think is like yeah. a really amazing skill that I think is underrated. And then number two, I love that you uh, that you also went into the fact that either way, you know, you're going to be learning. Like our failure with the VC startup was one of the biggest lessons I'd ever had um, and learning experiences, A, because of the team that was around me that were all much smarter people and had, you know, such wide skill set that I hadn't seen yet. So I learned so much from it. And then retroactively looking back on it and thinking like, where did we go wrong? Because I really felt like that could have been a really huge company age just because of the team that was there. I mean, You know, once again, like you guys had such massive skills and connections and everything that early fintech, early crypto, right? Yeah, it potentially six months later or a year later, if if the timing would have been then, potentially it could have you know taken off, or if we would have just stayed more crypto centric instead of trying to go full um, asset class um, status. Like looking back on that and just thinking of the learnings and if we. Um, you know, if we would have spent more time talking about those things and you know talking about the pivoting, but even all those conversations were such a great like experience and learning and as you as you said it's it was a failure, but like we learned and 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 learned so much from it of yeah, absolutely that it was like so valuable and probably one of the more you know valuable failures um you know of my life. <laughs>
2: Same, same. I mean, if I was to go back and do things over again, I would just, you know, take on as much. I, I I, think partly, I mean, I was the CEO of this company. And so it was really my responsibility, success or failure. And
0: I don't think yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't want to say role. that. I didn't want to put all the blame on you, but well, no, I mean,
2: it was it, it, like by title, it literally was. And so I, I, I you know, should have, um, done a better job at guaranteeing the success. That was, that was something, but you know, I just wasn't there at that point in my life. I wasn't there mentally. I didn't, I didn't even have that capacity within myself. And so it was a little bit early on all sides, but, um, I think, I think some things that could have helped us were yes, getting very clear on what we're trying to build and why, uh, to getting very clear on people's roles and expectations, including myself. Um, because I was like the CEO, but I was also the coder. So I felt like I was providing value because I was like building it and designing it and blah, blah, blah. But no, like I needed to be guaranteeing that success. I need to be meeting with Tony Shea and going and networking with his group of, you know, startups and finding connections and hiring engineers and like hustling, grinding, like getting people to help and replace myself. These are all things that I would have never realized had we not gone through that experience.
1: It sounds like the timing was a little tough, Caleb. Where you know you came into it as a young gun and uh, didn't didn't know to do all these things until after the fact well, how do you think about timing like that? I mean you want to you have these big dreams and you want to go out and conquer and and you know maximize your potential fulfill your potential um, but at the same time, like you said I mean if you're not ready for that, then you know the the venture has potentially a low uh, chance of success. What do you, how do you think about that?
2: Yeah. I mean, and just to be clear, we didn't burn all the VCs money when we realized that we weren't able to make it. Um, we returned the capital on hand and I think, um, then some. Um, but it and there was just like some silly mistakes we made. Like we spent all this money on a domain name that we just didn't need.
0: It was, it was you know, a badass like domain domain name though, bro.
2: Well, oh yeah. bro. It was very cool. It was very Increase. cool. And we should have <laughs> just bought it outright. We should have just <laughs> bought it outright. <laughs> that should have been an investment. Anything. Yeah, <laughs> that seriously. was the biz- like That was the business. It. Just seriously. buy that domain and sit yeah. on it. That's another learning, is like I thought about that like many times it's like we should have just bought that and then like had that be like a tangible asset.
1: But yeah, it's like buying like, a, buying a piece of real estate. Exactly. But
2: you, you don't. you just don't know what you don't know. And so I think it's important if to to say yes to opportunities. Uh, I wouldn't be able to speak to it with any degree of experience had I not said yes. And so first say yes, then do your best. And if you fail, figure out exactly why you failed. You know, do those postmortems. And you're gonna do those postmortems because failure sucks and is the worst feeling. I was so depressed after that. I remember going and like with my tail between my legs, leaving Vegas and getting a job in San Francisco and like working at this tech company. It was a great tech company, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do, uh, do my own thing, and and so all of that pain created a lot of thinking.
1: It's okay to shoot for those big those big dreams and big goals, and if you fail, it's okay. You take away the lessons you learn from it, and you'll be in a better position to to be successful on the next one.
0: And it set him up to be a badass at Snapchat for five years or whatever it was. So it's not like it set him back at all.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was a great experience and you know, it was just luck after luck.
0: If you're enjoying this podcast, we really appreciate you listening. Please take a second to like subscribe and follow and share your favorite episode of find your freedom with an aspiring entrepreneur in your life. Now back to the show. Did you have any mentors or people that you really drew um, wisdom from?
2: Um, Elon Musk, for sure. Um, I don't know, like I have tons of mentors. I have, you know, living uh, growing up, I have deceased and people that are you know, philosophers and authors and stuff like that. Um, I think as a kid, my earliest mentors are gonna to be, you know, your dad and your brother. They were both engineers, and that's how I learned to code. Um, Kirk was a huge mentor of mine, and so much of what I am fortunate to have now, I can attribute directly to him. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, there's tons of people like, I wouldn't be doing my podcast without Joe Rogan. I wouldn't, um, be having like a mind of how I would construct my businesses without Elon Musk. And there's something great about watching somebody like run a four minute mile. You're like, that's even possible. God. Okay. Now I'm going to try. And there's something about watching other people do it, you know, Garrett G another one where it's like, Oh, you could just go be an influencer. You could just go start a social media and, you know, like not be spiteful about even the word, just be like, no, I'm going to like create content and like try to make something that I'm into and make that um, into a profitable business.
1: And so you said a lot there and you know, if you, for folks that have a father or, or sibling or cousin, who they can look to for inspiration and and um, rely on as a mentor. You know, it's fantastic. If you don't have that, you meet people as you go through your school and, and your education and your career. How did you and Kirk meet out of curiosity? Uh, you, you mentioned him as one of your early mentors that you attribute a lot of your success to.
2: So I was working at a startup. This was the startup I got hired at from writing these articles about how to do web design. Um, and we had decided to as a team to go to south by southwest in austin texas for a hackathon that was sponsored by spotify which was a you know this is 2013. like that's a very spotify was a very early company and 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 we got to meet uh oh god i'm blinking on his name it's a very important figure
0: uh it'll come to
2: you you know yeah we'll, we'll circle back to that but anyway we got <laughs> to meet all of like billionaires and like these like amazing people through uh through that south by event and so that's where i met garrett and he and we kind of connected over being from utah and we were both grew up being mormon and that was a connection and we actually had similar investors in uh the in menlo ventures um i think it was Shervin and a few other people uh david crane from google ventures um and so we kind of like had some people that we all like were associating with at the time they were just in the door um, in, in the offices. And so I think Garrett invited me up to just hang at their office in San Francisco and we were just hanging out. That's where I met Kirk. And he invited me, I think, to like play, uh, Diablo three at his place, you know, just to hang. And what we discovered within three seconds of meeting each other is like, Oh, we can talk to each other for 28 hours a day. And we, you know, we never really stopped we kind of lost touch during COVID and stuff. Um, but, you know, just like
1: quarantines, lockdowns, like people lose touch. Um, but finding that person that you have a deep connection with. It's rare, but they're out there. And it sounds like going to South by Southwest was where you kind of started the story. Just getting out of your comfort zone, going to events and chopping it up with people. kanon he had this, uh, that's what I was thinking. He was a, he had
2: this,
0: um, he was a
2: rapper. <laughs>
0: I love it. Yeah, I think this Not is like once, once again, <laughs> like one of the huge <laughs> themes that kind of, I, I think always comes around in almost every single one of our interviews is you just got yourself in the corridor, you know, you built a skill set in yourself, and then you put yourself in positions where there was other super skilled people in your same industry that you wanted to be in. And it's not luck when you keep putting yourself in positions to meet people who will grow your network and help you get opportunities. And you put yourself in these positions, you first you know, I don't want to glance over this either. You, you you keep kind of referencing it. But you were just on your own, just writing articles and things about how to be a better programmer, about how to build better websites. About, and you just were doing this and just knocking these out on your own. No one told you to do it. No one showed you how to do it. You just took it upon yourself. You did it. It gave you um, sort of a little bit of an expertise that people noticed. And then that you know that hard work all on your own gave you this opportunity for this startup you made the most of that. The startup gave you this opportunity to go to this Codathon. You you were able to co-mingle with all these other people. It's not just luck and fortuitous things that happen. Like you did a bunch of hard work, A, just to be a great programmer, but then to, you know, do these projects that became noticed. And then all of a sudden, you know, you made the most of those opportunities. And now you're in rooms with people that can make Big things happen, like writing you 250K checks and, um, you know, and all these other op- and meeting uh, these random rappers and, you know, meeting this influencer. <laughs> Look with Lady Gaga. <laughs> exactly. Uh, see? What? Yeah. He, yeah. yeah, he yeah can you give little it? Monster yeah. Yeah. So can so you give us a little bit about that too? That's such another cool piece of your story.
2: Um, I mean, I mean it wasn't just me. Like the whole team was there. But yeah, Lady Gaga w- was one of our investors in Little Monsters. That company was actually called Backplane. And. Um, and so, yeah, like I met a ton of cool people through that, but, uh, one of the things, you know, she'd send us cupcakes and just like treats to the office and stuff. But one time she invited us to one of her shows and we got to have like a whole backstage experience and meet her and hang out and. It was really fun.
0: That's so awesome. So she was one of the projects that your startup was working on to build the social network for her or something. Is that how it happened?
2: Yeah. So Matt uh, Mickelson and Alex Moore were the founders and um, they had all these different, you know, connections to, you know, big names even today, like uh, uh, Joe Lonsdale was hanging out at the office a lot. Uh, the Winkle Boss twins were hanging out, um, got to meet all those people, had dinner in their homes. Actually, it was amazing. Amazing that any of this happened um but um yeah yeah just uh we were building that we were building that company so the idea i think it was still a good idea was like trying to build like a a reddit on steroids uh for these individual like big name celebrities where they could go and like upload their music and not worry about rights or copywriting or anything uh they could just like create this community center for all of their fans And, um, I still think it's a good idea, but you know, that's a good example of how you can have every big name, all the money in the world, a giant team in the best location and still not make it because we did, they, we did end up folding after years. And so, um, but they all went on to do their own things and be successful in their own ways. And so a lot of it is just learning.
1: Yeah. Success is never guaranteed. Even, even when you have a dream team that you're working with. So you earlier in our conversation, Caleb talk, spoke about AI a little bit. Um, not something that that um, I know much about. I don't think Jonathan knows a lot about it either. Uh, but very interesting, and I think as um, as it progresses, obviously it's going to become more and more a part of our world. And uh, I'm just curious to hear your general thoughts on, you know, what are you most excited about when it comes to AI? Do you find yourself in the doomsday camp? You know, a lot of people think the robots are going to come and. And take over uh, human civilization. Oh, yeah. So, it's where do you happen. fall, and, and what are you most excited about?
2: Um, I am a, both a doomsdayer and a futurist, optimistic person. I think the doomsday is for the monkey, you know, like the the organism, the animal is gone, and we're going to get to be cyborgs, I guess. Um, but the realistic, practical thing today. Um, is AI, I think, is just the newest platform. Like the internet is a platform. The printing press is a platform. The iPhone is a platform. You know, you don't get Snapchat without an iPhone. Snapchat depends on Apple. There's no way to have Uber unless Apple and Google exist. And so these big companies are platforms. And now we have a new platform and it's AI. And it's going to do everything. So we, the big evolution happened in 2012 with deep learning. And we've started to train these giant models. They're called large models. And GPT-3 is an example of that. And what's really interesting is it already knows basically everything. And we have barely begun to train it. I think they spent 4.5 million on that. They're going to spend 45 million on it. You know, like they're going to spend 450 million on it eventually in the fullness of time. And so what I'm excited about most is how. Entrepreneurs take these large models and begin to customize them. So you have the lawyer AI and the doctor AI and the finance AI and the coder AI. And every single role in society will be augmented with artificial intelligence. I think within a couple of years, I think where it's going to happen very quickly. and. Well, and so you just have to think about, like, what happens if every single person gets a assistant that knows everything in the world and never needs to sleep? And then have you guys seen this Tesla bot that Elon Musk is making?
0: Yes. It's like yes, a humanoid so well. robot. Okay. Yeah, those so old now, AI uh, figures that, uh, or what was that company that started doing those a while back? Robotics. Um, that one. Oh, Boston but, yeah. Dynamics? Yeah, exactly. So you mix the intelligence now with these yeah. robots that can do everything. That's okay. So, so
2: then you have like a robot that can go pick up the groceries and go do the laundry and go mop the floor and go take care of the garden or go grow a garden. And man, it's it, the, the economy becomes unlimited. And that's where I start thinking about like, oh, we're going to need some UBI because everyone is going to be bored because there's going to be nothing to do because the robots do it all
0: in 20 years. Yeah, the amount of free time everyone's going to have when all these monotonous jobs that can easily be done. And safer and more efficiently by something else. Yeah, and it's not, it's not that far off. And it's crazy what's happening already. So Microsoft announced today they're laying off 10,000 employees because they said we can use AI for some of these things. Um, and then a SaaS company just laid off people and said the same thing. Like, oh, we're going to be looking into AI because we're pretty sure that a lot of the stuff that's been happening right now can be done better. AI.
2: Microsoft made a large investment in open AI as well. I thought that's what you were referring to.
0: Oh, well that, but also they just did a layoff of 10,000. And they said part of the reason is because of that, but also doesn't Microsoft have their own AI that we don't even know, like the capabilities yet. They haven't made that public, right?
2: Yeah. These big companies, or, or Google, or Google and no, Microsoft Google's AI probably, Google has yeah.
0: its one that it hasn't. So it's like this chat GPT is a private company, but Google has one that might even be more advanced that they haven't even shown us yet. And the we'll, fact see, that chat- we'll see, we'll see. It's so crazy. We'll see what and, happens.
2: I think that, that Google and these big companies, like I worked at a big company, they move slow by design and that sets you up for disruption. So GPT could be a real disruptor. And that's why I think it's so smart that Microsoft is you know, placing all their bets there. Now, maybe they do have like some quantum supreme AI intelligence. I don't know. Nobody can say for sure what they have um, unless you're on an insider. Um, but if I was to bet... I would say we're going to see these companies disrupted for the first time, and it's going to be disrupted by companies like OpenAI. I'm not sure on that, but that's my initial idea.
0: Well, just look at how profitable Google has been for so long, and really had a monopoly monopoly on the internet. And now all of a sudden, ChatGPT out of nowhere can come do google's job better because you're not having to search which one meets your criteria better it actually tells you the answer instead of finding the website and it's you know it's not even been monetized yet so it's just like all of a sudden out of nowhere one of the largest most profitable companies for the longest amount of time all of a sudden has a competitor come up be better and faster and everything about it It's just, that just shows how significant of a shift this is going to be and how quickly it can happen.
2: And I would have never imagined that in six months ago, basically before I started, I mean, I talked to chat GPT literally about an hour a day. And the only reason I stop is because I get rate limited. And that's a real thing. That's a real part of my experience. And I wonder how many people find themselves like just going and spending more time talking to the machines. But, uh, yeah, if you asked me six months ago, I would be like, Google's gonna be the king until the sun explodes. Like, I still think they are with like YouTube and, you know, Gmail and things like that. But um, as far as search goes, it, I, I could not have imagined that generation, like, you don't need to search anymore. Searching is arduous, actually. To us, it's like a privilege. To us, it's like a miracle that you can just find this information and read an article. But to the next generation, they'll, they'll see it as laborious. They'll be like, well, why wouldn't I just ask my question and get an instant answer? Like, why would I have to three clicks and read? That's crazy.
0: Why don't I just ask uh, my maid robot to tell me everything my, that I yes, want to know? Yes, <laughs>
2: yeah. Or my army, like how many robots are you going to buy? Are you going to buy 10? Are you going to buy a thousand? You know, yeah. like, what if you want to build a pyramid? What if you buy 10,000? So wild. So wild. So while,
1: while you're extremely excited, you're also part of the doomsday camp as well, you said?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is like a little weird and personal, but I do keep having like these scary nightmares (laughs) of like AI invading our heads through like some kind of neural link mechanism and just people becoming... I don't know, like not human, whatever, whatever that means. Mind control. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I don't know if that means that we're all just like staring blankly into space and the whole thing is like processing some VR reality or if it means that like actually some doomsday person does figure out how to like hack everyone's neural links at once and just like kill the planet. I don't know what it means, but um, I think that. We just got whatever, dark over here. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, like I mean, that, I, like, there's some scary uh, outcomes. If you look at Elon Musk, like, I always thought he was kind of like exaggerating when he would be like, AI is the biggest threat. AI, you know, I've heard him say that for five years. I think he saw something way before anyone else. And uh, I now agree it's like, this, whatever it is, it's going to disrupt. I don't know how but things aren't gonna be the same. And I think in years.
1: When someone like him expresses that concern, it feels like you gotta at least take it a little bit. uh, (laughs) Validation. Yeah, yeah, you gotta take it seriously. but hopefully hopefully it'll all work out great and they'll help us get I things think, done more I, quickly. I, more I, I think in the
2: short term, it's all cons. optimistic. Yeah, yeah, like, I mean, all that is like some dystopian, like 100 years from now. I don't think any of that is like stuff we need to worry about. We should all just be excited that all of us get a infinitely knowledgeable personal assistant that we can, you know, leverage for free forever. Like that's a superpower.
0: Caleb, you're such an interesting person and we really appreciate you sharing these crazy, awesome experiences and your background with us. This is what we love about the podcast. So many different stories, but these incredibly intelligent, inspiring people living out their dreams. Can you tell us a little bit more about where we can find your podcast and how people can reach out to you?
2: Thank you guys so much for having me on. This was like such a fun conversation. And anyone who's interested in my work and my stuff, uh, the biggest thing I do right now is my podcast. Uh, go to com. C-O, or you can go to cjo.1 and find all my links.
0: Awesome. Uh, the place that we like to finish every podcast with is, um, do you have any resources, podcasts, books, or other resources that you'd recommend for um, aspiring entrepreneurs that uh, want to be where you are?
2: Um, not like a single one comes to mind. Just, uh, I'm a big believer in taking in all the information you can. So just find people that you're interested in and, and consume everything they put out. That's my advice.
0: Yeah, it doesn't have to be one specific thing. What are you passionate about? Go seek out the best in that class, whether it be on Twitter or Reddit or YouTube or anywhere, and just absorb as much as you can. That's such such wisdom.
1: You have such a great story, man. Thank you for coming on to, to share that with us. You uh, dropped a lot of gems, and I think uh, the audience is really going to love this one. So thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you guys so much for having me.